0: the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that is why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And Matthew 23:11 The greatest among you will be your servant. And 1 Peter 4:10 Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in
1: its various forms. Thanks very much, Sam. Uh, Could I just have a little bit less lights in my eyes? Thank you. Thank you. That's good enough. Probably everybody wants to see less of me. Maybe I should preach in darkness. It might make it easier on the eyes. We're looking at our series of Better Together and there are so many uh, things that we could deal with in this, we look at one of, just one of the snippets of these one another issues. If you Google one another or go onto Bible Gateway, there are many, many aspects of our relationship we are, in which we are connected to one another and narrowing them down for this series of four sermons in this particular month has been quite difficult. And so the challenge to today as I, as I looked at that, I thought, Lord, what, what would you like to say into our congregation, into our heart? And I believe that God quickened to me that we are to focus on what it means to serve one another. So, Heavenly Father, as we look at this idea, of course, embodied in Jesus, in the washing of the disciples' feet, and His command to His disciples, we ask, dear God, that it would, you would speak to us. We who would sit before you, Lord, sit under your authority, under your word, under your lordship. Help us, Heavenly Father, to understand more deeply the matters of what it means to be engaged with others in selfless service for the Saviour's sake. And so in Jesus' name, Lord, we pray that you would bless our time together, that it would change our thinking, and therefore, Lord, change our hearts and our behaviour. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. So we're going to look at what it means to serve one another. And I came across... Uh, one of the verses that I hadn't really counted on, I knew that the whole lot of them were in John's Gospel and a few other things. But as I did some research on this, I came up with this particular scripture here, uh, which is from Galatians five thirteen. Um, it wasn't on my radar, but it says this: "You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free." And he's talking to the Galatians here about free from being justified by God as law keepers, as doing and being perfect. In the eyes of God, in order to be justified. So he's saying, No, that's not the way that we become right with God. That is not the pathway. It's not by works. It's not by keeping the law. It's a separate way that we become right by God. We come right by God through his grace. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. And so as soon as we hear that, free from law, free from that, we think, wacky do, I'm, I'm just going to go out there and rage away. I'm free. I'm going to use my liberty. I'm free to do as I want. I'm going to free to do exactly what I want. But the Bible says no. How we, should, how we should use our freedom. If we are free from trying to earn our place with God and we have the pathway of God's grace and the pathway of God's mercy, And we engage with God and become right with God through no effort of our own. We're free from that. work our way to heaven. How should we behave? Not cut loose because we're free of that. Okay. What it says is this. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. So we're not free just to ingratiate our own bodily appetites and to do what we want. But rather how we should use our freedom. What does it mean to be truly free? It says there, rather to serve one another humbly in love. You want to know what Christian freedom is? That's the definition of Christian freedom. We are to use our freedom, when we lay a hold of that, we are to serve one another humbly in love. That's why God has set us free. That's why we've been made right with God apart from the law through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as I looked at this idea of serving, and I drilled down into some dictionaries, there were at least 13 different, different, different definitions of what it means to serve one another. So I've, I've picked the eyes out of the ones I really liked, which fitted our biblical theme. And in the dictionaries that I consulted, it meant uh, that we are to help, to meet a person's need, to provide a benefit, to perform an act of kindness or compassion, again, to help someone. To meet a need, to provide a benefit, to perform an act of kindness or compassion. It's interesting in the Christian life, uh, true meaning, true meaning and true depth and true fulfillment is not in getting, but it is in giving. And it is in serving. And it is in giving our life away in the service of others that we find the truest fulfillment when we're motivated by Christ. There's an old famous prayer that says this, O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it's in dying That we are born to eternal life. Amen. What a great prayer. It's being other person focused. It's being in serving one another. I want to just talk about two aspects of serving one another. I want to talk about the basis of serving. And I want to talk about barriers to serving. The basis of serving and the barriers to serving. Basis of serving we've already looked at in our scripture. We see Jesus' example, John 13. Can't find a finer example in the scriptures. Uh, Ben's already picked this verse. Good on you, Ben. Must have been on the same page or you read my notes that were on my desk when I went on holidays. Either way, it seems like you, you know, the Holy Spirit spoke to both of us or you cheated. Uh, I take the first. This is, a, this is foundational. If you've got to understand Mark's gospel, if you want to understand who Jesus is, because each of the gospels portray a different aspect of Jesus, that we might get a bigger picture, a fuller picture. Mark is very keen on this. For even the Son of Man, Jesus, one of Jesus' favourite titles for himself, did not come to be served, but to serve... And to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve and he served till he killed him. That's why Paul in his writings, when he talks to prospective husbands. Or current husbands. Says you need to love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We are called to love in the family. To love our wives, men, as Christ loved the church. He loved the church to death. He served the church to death. Husbands are called to love their wives to death, to serve them to death. That is the nature of being a man in a relationship with a woman in marriage. And so Jesus says here that he has come. He deserved to be served. <laughs> Jesus deserved to be served the King of kings and Lord of lords, creator. Starcaster, the one through whom everything was made, no name above all names other than the name of Jesus. He deserved to be worshipped, but he came to serve and to serve till it killed him, and he gives us the example of we are called to serve like the servant king." John 13:15 says, "I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you." It was very interesting, in those foot-washing days, it would be the job of the household servant or the youngest child. Imagine being the youngest kid in the family. Who's anyone here the youngest kid in the family? You would get the stinky, filthy job that when people came into your household and you didn't have a servant, you weren't of that kind of ilk, Uh, when somebody came in and you were the youngest child, this would be your job, the dirty, filthy leather clad, because we're talking about unpaved roads, we're talking about... Uh, a Middle Eastern climate, we're talking about flesh on leather. When you have flesh on leather in a stinking, sweating, unpaved climate, what would be the result? Stinking, smelly feet. And, of course, uh, I think we all had encountered that from uh, in one way or another. So that would be your job. And so Jesus is down there with his 12 disciples with... Uh, 12 sets of stinking, filthy feet, and he washes them. That was the custom. You would come in because you would be like that. They would wash your feet. They would often anoint your head with with oil or something like that. And that was the welcome into the house. That's what it meant to be welcomed into a person's house. It was not conceivable that the head of a home or a leader or a rabbi would get down on their knees and wash... Other people's feet, it just, wasn't, just didn't happen culturally. So Jesus broke the cultural norms to tell us that it's all about servanthood. So as the leader of the disciples, as the rabbi, he dons a towel and he gets down, he does the job of a servant. He does the job of a slave. He does the job of the youngest child, the lowest member of the family totem pole. And then he says this, I've set you an example, that you are to serve others like that. We are to seek to serve each other. And do those things sometimes that are unpleasant but are of benefit and a blessing to other people. He's talking to his disciples in in Matthew 23. They're squabbling about who's going to be the greatest. And he says, the greatest among you will be your servant. And Galatians 5.13, we've already said that and read that out. We are to serve one another humbly in love. We can serve some people in so many ways. We can spend time with people. We can do a task for somebody. You might have a skill that they don't have. You might have a resource that they don't have. And you might share that with them. There are so many ways. Uh, I want to put it like this. Um, we, we're travelling through a knife and we find somebody that's got some sort of a need And they're going along in their life's journey and they have this need. It might be an ongoing need or it might be a temporary need, but they have a need. They're going along on the journey of life. And what happens is we're going along on our journey of life and we cross their path. It might be somebody we know. It might be somebody in this church. It might be somebody at uni. It might be somebody at work. It might be somebody you don't know. It might be somebody that you've just bumped into on the street or in a supermarket. So we we find somebody's need and our lives cross their path and we become aware that they've got a need. And then we look at their need and we look at them and then we have a choice to make. Uh, We assess whether we've got the resources to help them. Sometimes we might have the resources, we might be able to bless a person with something. I knew somebody was at a checkout uh, the person going before them didn't have enough money to pay for their groceries, so the person behind them just shouted their groceries. There was a guy at McDonald's that went uh, viral on social media, an older guy at McDonald's, didn't have enough money to pay for his lunch. And a uh, U-beaut Aussie bloke he came up behind him and he just grabbed the bill for the bloke, just paid for his, paid, paid for his lunch. Just saw the need, stepped up and met the need. We have the resources and if we don't personally have them, sometimes we can... We can help that person find the resources they need uh, to go to an agency, to do whatever is necessary. But in life, that happens to us, doesn't it, friends? We come across someone's got a need. Our lives intersect with them. And then we're left with a choice. Have I got the resources? What can I do to help this person? That's an excellent question. Always ask, what can I do to help? Always ask, what can I do to help? And then what happens? We need the will to do it. We need the desire to do it. And so what we can do is we can, we can see somebody's need. Our lives can intersect with them. There can be a point where we cross paths with them. We have an opportunity. We have the resources. But do we have the will to do it? Do we have the will to do it? And that's our decision point. What we need to have as we travel along life, we need to be observant and we need to be obedient. We need to be looking out for those opportunities and, and seeing God in them, seeing God in them, being observant and being obedient. And sometimes it's just in, as I looked at serving, sometimes it's just doing an act of kindness. Uh, we watch our grandson, Remington, play his sevens soccer on Saturdays and sometimes they do okay. Sometimes not okay and yesterday they got pummeled and uh, he'd been sick and so for a week he'd been in bed and off school so we said he can spend the first half in goals and that was okay. Uh, Minor damage was done to the scoreline but this other team was getting a real head of steam up. I could tell you that they were starting to really click and that's dangerous in a soccer match and then what happened is that at halftime they swapped goalies and another little guy was put in goals. Uh, beautiful little guy, beautiful little temperament, very soft, very gentle, a very tender-hearted little boy. And this team was now on full alert. They were on full goal scoring. Their momentum was up. Our kids were running around like just free-range chickens. You know, there was, there was not much planning going on on the, on the old epping side. There was just a lot of... It was shocking to watch. In fact, I think I got a headache from doing that too much. But anyway... Um, they were really peppering the goals and they got a goal after another goal after goal. And after about the third one had gone and a half, uh, this kid just started crying. And um, he broke down and uh, just grabbed the net. And of all the things that happened in that game, what happened in those next ensuing minutes was one of the most beautiful things I'd seen. That's, uh, That's the guy inconsolably turned his back on the game and he's just hanging on to the net. And so my grandson didn't give a stuff what was happening in the game. For him, it was over for the minute. And he could see that this kid was crying and he just went up to him and he put his hand on his back and tried to encourage him and to say some beautiful words. And that's a close-up of that. That was taken from the other end of the field, from the other goalpost with a long lens camera. And you can see there's just investing, just serving, just loving, just helping and the cameraman, the cameraman who, um, who took the picture, because the team, the scoreline wasn't pretty at the end of the day. Uh, at 11.06 last night, we got the text through where he was putting some photos out. And he said, we may not have got the win today, but this moment was the highlight of the match for me. This is what being a part of a team and mateship is all about. Well done to both Remington and Ethan, who served in goals that day for making me believe again that winning is not always important is is not always the most important thing the most important thing is to love one another the most important thing is to serve one another the most important thing is to show an act of kindness where there is a need and you have an opportunity and you have the resources and you have the will you can make a difference. And Remington didn't care. The, just didn't care what was happening, whether the kickoff was happening. His focus was on Ethan. And that was a beautiful thing. and It just reminded me that part of serving is just to show an act of kindness to a person in a point of need. It was a tender moment. Unlike the score of the game, which was horrendous. This is not loving me. Can you put the next slide up for me, please? Okay. That's the basis of serving. The basis of serving is Jesus. We're followers of Jesus. The battery is low. (laughs) Is it my battery that's low? (laughs) I'll call for it when somebody's battery is low. That's what it says up the back on a cheat screen. (laughs) Hey, here's some barriers of serving. It's hard-heartedness. Hard-heartedness. 1 John 3, 17 says this, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? We are blessed in order to be a blessing to others. We live in this country and have the economy that we have in order to be loving and generous to our fellow human beings. Sometimes we can have an unhealthy basis for loving people, an unhealthy self image. Sometimes people serve others because they, they see themselves, and they, some of these concepts overlap, they see themselves as servile. The word servile means that you kind of like, you see yourself like a grovelling worm. And you sort of, I just do this because my position in life, I'm nothing but a worm. And so I do things for others because they're important and me, I'm a worm. I'm just a servile kind of a person. That is not the place which God wants us to serve from. We are set free. We are sons and daughters of the King. Jesus was not servile. He was a servant. But he he was in a position of empowerment. He, in his empowerment, he chose humility in that place to bless other people. It was not about his lack of self-esteem. It was about his esteem of others that made the difference. That's a really important distinction. It's not out of a lack of self-esteem that we serve one another. It is out of a desire to esteem them. Servitude. That's to have the attitude of just I'm nothing but a slave. An inferiority complex where others are more important than me. Others deserve to be served but me? No, I'm just, I'm just inferior to them. They're more important than me. I'm just going to do it because oh, you're not inferior to anyone. God hasn't called us to have an inferiority complex. He's called us to be sons and daughters of the king. And of course, uh, there's low self-esteem where I'm less important than another and I deserve to be a servant of others. To value others does not mean to devalue yourself. Do you you understand that? Can you hear that tonight? To value others does not mean you need to devalue yourself. And sometimes, of course, we categorise people. We categorise people and somehow we see them as less worthy of love. Uh, We see the country that they come from, the class, the culture, the colour, the creed and we become somehow in our own minds exempt from loving them the way that we should. Hopefully this thing will work now. This is what we're to serve one another humbly in love. I don't know where this came from. It's a just appeared on my social media stuff like a whole lot of weird stuff. Other other stuff does, but this is good. Love your neighbour who doesn't look like you, think like you, love like you, speak like you, pray like you or vote like you. We could have done with some of this a little while ago because there's a whole lot of vitriol going on on social media and not a whole lot of love coming on. Yeah? And so we are to call out. There are no exceptions. We're just a love Our neighbours love other human beings who are completely different to us and that can be totally in a different space to us because God doesn't care if you live in the White House or the Poor House, you're welcomed in His house. You can say, Amen, it's Pentecost Sunday, it's okay. You can get enthusiastic back. You know, God loves all people equally. I want you to catch this quote. Racial diversity is the demonstration of deliberate divine design. I'll say that again. Racial diversity is a demonstration of the deliberate divine design. And so we're different in, our, in the globe, in this planet, the planet that God has made, the people that God has made. The differences are designed by the divine designer himself. And we are to acknowledge that and to celebrate and to love one another in that. That's why we are thrive, striving to be a thriving all age cross-cultural church. Because the Bible says this in Genesis 1.31, God saw all that he had made and sees all that he had made. And the scripture says, behold, it was very good. So when God looks upon our multicultural society, and he sees the diversity that is in this church and is in our community, God says it's very good. And it's certainly one of the things uh, that we, we in, uh, reinforce in this church, that we celebrate in this church, and that we love in this church. Uh, Johnny Fan gave his testimony this morning. It was awesome. Johnny Fan's just an awesome guy, isn't he? What? And uh, people didn't know Johnny and they got to know some of his wonderful personality and, and his just brightness and stuff like that. And it just caused a celebration in the house, Johnny. I got so much good feedback. I think they want you to preach in future, not me, you know, I'll tell you what. And I needed to tell you this this morning. I'm just going to have an aside with Johnny for a while, just listening. Um, man, you've got a really good communication skills. You talk about your English as a second language. But you are a really good communicator. You are a really clear speaker and a really good communicator. I just want to encourage you and affirm you in that and uh, you get a really good personality people said to me they didn't know you but they thought you were just awesome today and so fantastic so thank you for sharing that and people were rejoicing to hear because we've got people like John Helen that have been here forever and love the Lord and all those kinds of stuff we've got people in this church like Johnny Fan come from a communist country baptised in that thing called himself in front of the whole church a dirty communist when he got baptised on the night (laughs) you did Johnny and then you know you came to know Christ you know You, you knew That What a wonderful thing. What a thing to celebrate in our church. We need one another. We're better together as a church. We're better together as a church. And that's the kind of church we're going to be, we are, and we're striving to be. That's the future of this church as we embrace and reach this community for God. The cure for inequality in the world is to see others as God sees them and treat them accordingly. The cure for inequality in the world is to see others as God sees them and treat them accordingly. Lack of humility. A lack of humility. A lack of humility. Where we won't get down on our knees, we won't towel up. You know what it means? To serve people means from time to time you've got to get down and you've got to get dirty. Let's never be too proud to towel up, to get down and to get dirty and to serve others as Jesus has given us that example. I want to tell you somebody who uh, was very famous in Australian history. I love a little bit of Australian history now and then. And this woman was very famous. She was one of our best sprinters of all time. She was an absolute mega-athlete. Her name was Marjorie Jackson and she lived over in Lithgow, which is the other side of the Blue Mountains. She was born on the coast but she went over to Lithgow. Marjorie Jackson, and this is not... We're talking about Australian sprint stars of which there are virtually none you know, these days. I mean, we're not bad at swimming. We're not bad at swimming. Ash Barty's not bad at tennis. Come on, number two in the world now. That was pretty awesome. My wife did not wake me up when she got to bed at 2.30 with excitement and tell me the score. Thank you, Shelley. And... uh, So Marjorie Jackson, she was known as the Lithgow Flash. She was as fast on the track as Grease Lightning. She was just naturally fast. She was extremely fast. In her sprinting career, the Lithgow Flash, as they called her, in the 1950s, over a decade, We good on this one now? Okay. Is this the scratchy one? This is the scratchy one. I'm going to the other one. Okay, I'm now on the non-scratchy one. Uh, Marjor- Marjorie Jackson, the Lithgow Flash, in the 1950s, won a combined uh, nine gold medals at Olympic and Commonwealth Games in sprints. When when last Is that the last time that it happened with an Australian... <laughs> Australian athlete in sprints, track sprints, nine gold medals at Olympic and Commonwealth Games. Uh, She was so fast. Um, She went over as she went in the school carnival and flogged everybody. Then she went to the country championships, and she had to go to Sydney for the country championships, and she would run the sprint races, and she just thrashed them and then somebody said she's got a fair bit of talent so she started to get involved in athletics and what that meant for her is that she found a coach back at Lithgow that didn't have a proper athletics track they just had the footy oval and she could train when the footy players weren't playing footy on the footy oval which was all churned up not ideal for a sprint athlete and there were no lights so her coach would car with the headlights on at night so that Marjorie after work as a secretary could go to the track and run the track and do her training in the darkness under the headlights of the coach coach's car then she started to get involved in athletic competitions over in Sydney. So she'd ask her boss, who she was working at Lithgow and secretary, she had to catch the 4.15 train. She said, can I get off work early? She'd go to Sydney, she'd compete in night meets, night athletic meets. She'd come back, she'd have tea at 10.30 at night. She'd go to bed and this would be the routine for years. And she went on uh, to, to win this incredible amount of gold medals. When she first started out, of course, uh, she got notoriety pretty quickly. She became famous pretty quick. And, uh, of course, she was just so outstanding. And she got a picture in the paper and she was feeling pretty good about herself. And her father took her aside. She says, oh, when I was 15 in her bio, she says, when I was 15, I had my first photo in the paper. So at 15, she was basically famous. That's how far she was. At 15, I had my first photo in the in the paper. She remembers, well, I thought I was someone. Her father summoned her the room for a chat, and he says, now God gives us all a gift, and yours just happens to be running. Don't you ever believe that you are better than anyone else because you're not. Marjorie said, that conversation that lasted a minute with her father, shaped her life for a whole life long. Then she went on to win all these glories. She's got like nursing homes named after and all kinds of things. She's very, very famous in our, in our culture and in our country. But from that moment, her father says, you've just been given a gift from God. It doesn't make you better than anyone else. And so God gives us gifts, in fact, to serve one another. Her gift was running. We've all been given gifts. Look at 1 Peter 4:10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. We've all been given gifts. You sitting here today have been given gifts. The reason you have been given gifts is not for you to feel proud, not for you to feel good about yourself. Gifts are given to serve other people with. And as we use our gifts, whatever they might be, we need to discover, to develop and to deploy our gifts. As we serve others in that way, as we serve using our gifts to serve others, they will be built up. And so the gifts aren't there to build our egos. The gifts are there to build others up in the name of Jesus. Whatever we've got, we use as a gift of service. Uh, even in leadership, I see myself as a servant of this church i've called i've been called by God to serve this church. I serve it through using the gifts that I have as a pastor and as a leader. but it is a call of service've got to ask you just these questions to finish. Are you using your gifts to serve others? Are you serving in humility? Galatians 5.13 reminds us you my brothers and sisters were called to be free but not to use your freedom to indulge the flesh rather serve one another humbly in love and so that's God's call on us tonight to serve one another humbly in love. Heavenly Father, as we meditate on that one phrase, serve one another humbly in love, and as we walk it out and talk it out and live it out this week, we pray to God that you would water it into our hearts and into our lives by the Holy Spirit. May we be people who, like Jesus, towel up, get down and get dirty and serve others. In Jesus' name, amen.